0: Attention now, don't
1: I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Prepare to get caffeinated.
0: Well, here's a question because I've often wondered, you know, from your perspective, because. You, you, you retired as a three-star. Two-star. Two-star. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I gave you an extra mm-hmm. star, right?
1: Uh, Should have been a five-star. I'm kidding.
0: But, yeah. you know, you fell short. Yeah, I did. You you were an underachiever, I, I guess. Yeah, I was, exactly. Right? I I often wonder from, you know, uh, a, a general officer's perspective, mm-hmm. what you found in in your life— Because you're a subject matter expert on leadership. Like you are. Whether you like to admit it or would like to say it or not, you have managed and led more people in difficult situations, in combat situations than 99.9999% of the human population. If you are in a conversation with a guy on a podcast not withholding anything. What are the, the, the traits that make a good leader from your perspective?
1: Well, you know, and some of these may sound trite or overused, but they're, they're legitimate. First is integrity. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, when I was younger, I'd say, I want tangible advice. I want, you know, do this. Right. Like, principles are better. Mm-hmm. How you conduct yourself principally dictates on how you react to a certain situation. So, first, integrity. Because if people don't believe you or trust you, um, then won't nothing follow. else happens. No, they won't, they follow, won't follow. Right. Follow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a foundational thing. But I think humility
0: mm-hmm.
1: is another thing. Like, I, you know, I started out again as a 17 year old private. I've never forgot that. I've never. You know, I've always never believed that I was better than anyone else. Now, I have, you know, as I became a general officer, my responsibilities changed dramatically. Mm. Um, the leadership skills that you need as a strategic leader are much different than they were as a squad leader. Right. S- foundationally the same, principally mm. the same, but different TTPs, right? right? Um, so humility is another TTP one. is? Is uh, Te- tactics, techniques, and procedures, right? right? Just, just for everybody out for everybody, there. Yeah. So yeah. it's just it's it's just different approaches mm-hmm. to things, basically. I mean, so humil integrity, humility, I think communication is a big one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, it's one thing to so if we're on the same, you know, if we're a scout sniper team, it's easier to communicate between us, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a squad leader, you can, you know, it's direct leadership then. mm mm-hmm. It's much different if you're a regimental commander and you've got a regiment, you know, when I commanded the 160th, I got a battalion on the West Coast. I got a battalion on the East Coast. I got a higher headquarters at Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. I'm at Fort Campbell with a couple of battalions. How do I get my intent down to Private Hafer? Right. Who's an engine mechanic? How do mm-hmm. you do that? Right. So, and you got to communicate and use different things because uh, some of them will see you once. Yeah. or twice in the, mm. in a span of your two year command. So I have my own thing, you know, walking the line, and 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 not expecting a private to act like a general or a mm. colonel, you know. I got to have guys, sir, why can't we have, you know, um, more beer machine or beer machines in the barracks? And why can't our girlfriends live with us or whatever, or boyfriends or whatever? Really good, really good questions. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're private questions. They don't right? know. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, why so can't I'm, my
0: girlfriend live with me in the barracks? Right. Like, that's a total private question.
1: Right. And, you know, <laughs> but you understand that. And you're saying, yeah. okay, well, here's why. Right. And then, and in the course of that, you communicate, you know, and I'd sit down with them very unassuming and I, you know, if they say, hey, what do you think about? living in Clarksville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Some of them are like, I hate it here. My wife hates it here. We're from Boston or we're from Los Angeles or Seattle or wherever, Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City. Well, and I'd say, you know, I said, I get it. It was a, it was a culture shock for me, you know, and just have a conversation with them and know that, you know, what they say is important. Mm -hmm. And I listen to them and, uh, and support them. So communication is another thing. And, um, Patience is probably the area that I struggle. Somebody asked me once and, you know, what do you struggle with as a leader? Patience, right? And because when I, if I come to you, if I were the CEO of Black Rifle and I say, hey, Evan, I'm thinking about we should do this. We should get into this part of the industry or this. I'm thinking it through because I don't want to look like a complete ass clown to Evan, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm, you know, I'm wargaming it in my head for weeks, maybe months before I ever bring it to you. But you know, what I found myself doing is you'd say, well, what about this? And in my mind, I've already thought about that. And this is what I think is going to happen. And you can, I would tend to cut people off. No, I've already thought about that. It's important to let Mm -hmm. those people work through the problem like you've worked through the problem, right? And to consider all those things, but it's painful. It's painful because you've already, it's ground you've already plowed, you've already looked at. Mm -hmm. Um, But you'll also get different perspective and something that you should thought of that you may, or somebody else would think of something clearly that you didn't think. Mm -hmm. of. So, you know, you got to be patient. Um, The last thing I'd say, and I don't know if it falls into this, it does certainly doesn't fall into principles, but I've always very much focused on professional development Mm. of the people that I work with. I still do it. And the foundation here, we have team building events every quarter And this civilians is different than the military, but we also have professional development, you know, whether it's understanding um, stewardship and what we do to be good stewards of the resources we're provided in the foundation or HR stuff or benefits or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of it's leadership stuff. But I think the most satisfaction I've gotten out of my career was not, You know, rolling in hot and thumbing some rockets at some bad guys. I mean, it's pretty cool. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. But knowing that maybe, maybe I positively impact a young troop and they went this way instead of that way. And sometimes, occasionally, I get feedback from guys Hey, you said, you said this to me and that made a difference. Mm -hmm. To me, I think being focused, you know, on leader development. Um, is another thing. Last thing I'd say is be a team player, and that was a big thing for me. You know, as a regimental commander, you know I'd see battalion commanders, and they're you know they're competing with each other, right, to get the top spot for evaluations, which means they're going to get considered Mm -hmm. for a brigade. Um, But I'd say, hey, look, if you you know, if you wrap yourself in glory at your peers' expense, I mean, that's not going to be good for you. Mm. I, you know, I want, and I think our army needs collaborative, cooperative, folks. You can be competitive, yeah, but you know, l- be collaborative. Mm. And I, I always tried to be that way. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but it wasn't as common as I would have thought. Right. Right. I mean, I, I really thought that the, especially at lieutenant colonel level, battalion commander level, that guys would be like, see the bigger picture. Right. Um, I was always, you know, when I was a regimental commander, like I said, if I had one battalion that was like ace of the base, they were Mm -hmm. it, and I had four other weak sisters because this one was getting ahead at their expense. Right. Am I a successful regimental commander? No. You know, so to me being a good team player, and that becomes more important. Mm. the more senior you get. But right. kiss of death in a promotion board is if someone says, you know, self-serving. Mm. Right. I mean, to yeah. me, that's probably the worst black mark you could get other than a ethical issue or right. something like that.
0: Yeah. Those are, those are really good points. I, I've, I've often wondered from that level. Um, is it, Is it competitive even at what I would say at the one-star perspective? Are they individually motivated? And is it more political at that point? Or like how would you define the way that promotions are working from that point? Because I I, it's all kind of, you know, mirrors and haze at that point. I don't I don't even know how a guy gets promoted up into, you know, a four-star.
1: Right. Like what, what does it take? Well, um, I clearly wasn't a four star, so I. But you I can't. would know way more yeah, about yeah, it than yeah, I yeah, would. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. There is politics, but there's politics. <laughs> a lot of these same, um, these same conditions for getting promoted or metrics are here mm. in Black Rifle Coffee, right? So some of it is there is politics, but there's always politics. Now sure. I think it's your evaluations as a general officer don't mean anything. They don't. They don't. Because right. after you make two-star, you don't even get them anymore. Right. You know, I mean, you don't, you know, you don't get them. So your reputation. And I mean, some of it is. Are you just you know.
0: tapped for the positions?
1: Is that how it works? Like how how. No, there's a, there's a process. So right. they like, so the four stars get together in the army and they start at, you know, the key four stars will say, okay, who do we, who of our, they'll start at who are the three stars Mm. do we think should be four stars? Got it. And then how do we give them the developmental positions Mm. to get that? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then they'll start saying, okay, how are we going to, what jobs do these three stars need to Mm. go into? Right. And then two stars and then one star. So, and there is a, I mean, it's a, you know, there's personal knowledge is allowed in the, the general office. And it's the same for all the services, I believe. So if you know Brigadier General Evan Hafer, you know, hey, I know Evan. I served with him in um, in 19th Group. Um, good guy. I was in combat with him. You have to characterize your service, got right? It, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like I ran into him at a 7-Eleven kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it has to be firsthand. It can't right. be drink beers with me at the yeah, Green it can't Beret be, Club. Matt Bess <laughs> told me about Evan, right. yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. how I know him. It's right. got to be firsthand knowledge. But then they share their perspective, mm-hmm. and it goes around. And this is where that, yeah, I, you know, I served with Evan, Spotlight Ranger, mm-hmm. self-serving, not a team player. That's a kiss of death, right? Right. So there is a deliberate process. Is mm-hmm. it perfect? No. Have I seen general officers that got off-ramped at one star mm-hmm. or two star that I think should have went on? And, uh, yeah, why, hire. why
0: do they get off ramp? Because it's like a personality.
1: Maybe. Yeah. And maybe it's personality who, who, who sat that committee or right. who worked with them. I mean, I think it's just, a lot of it is, you know, there's certainly a skill attribute to get promoted, but there's also a little bit of luck nah, and yeah. timing, mm-hmm. you know, like were you on a high profile mission? Did your battalion deploy to gotcha. combat right, you know, right, or right. whatever, yeah, brigade yeah. or whatever? Did you have something egregious happen in your brigade? Right. You know, um, that, I mean, you're not maybe culpable. I didn't say, you know, somebody had a friendly fire incident that was particularly egregious or somebody murdered civilians or something. Right. Okay. So that happened on my watch as a commander. Well, that could end my career. Now, I'm not culpable. I wasn't aware of that act, but I am accountable,
0: mm, right? Yeah, yeah. So that there's makes a sense. difference.
1: Yeah. So a commander is responsible for everything his unit does or fails to do. And, you know, and that, that is another point there is accept responsibility. Right. Because I call in a person for an Article 15 and I'd say, okay, Evan, you're going to step in and we're going to do an Article 15, You can have a lawyer present. You can do whatever you want. Exercise Mm -hmm. all your legal rights. But understand this. If you did this, and, you know, I value people that accept responsibility because that tells me that they understand that they did something wrong. Right. I'm not saying you're going to get a pass. But if you're guilty, it's going to be much better for you if you accept responsibility than not. Right. So, but back, you know, so that was, uh, sorry about the divergence there, but for, yeah there I think there is a process, and I don't think it's perfect right like the army just changed the way they do talent management, like now they do it's more of a it's a true three sixty where uh, three sixty yeah good. yeah I mean when I was a general officer, we did three sixties but the, the the fault in the system at the time, and they've since corrected it was. So you pick the officers that you want. You have to pick, you know, three senior, three peers. What I can't Mm -hmm. remember the number. But subordinates, peers, and superiors. But I got to pick. So I'm like, hey, Brigadier General Hafer, when I was a two-star, you know, I chewed his ass. He didn't like me. I'm not picking him. No, yeah. So I'd pick, you know, Brigadier General Matt Best or Brigadier General Taylor or somebody Mm -hmm. that I thought was, you know, had a good opinion of me. Really, if you want an unvarnished look, you've got to have a way to take samples from right. all superiors, um, peers, and subordinates that you can't control who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Now, and you're inevitably going to have somebody that, that you held accountable or something, and they're going to have a poor opinion of you. Oh, yeah. But I think <clears throat> the system, as it matures, you can sort of weed those out mm-hmm. and understand that there was something behind that. Um, and the Army's, their their approach and talent management completely different. And I just saw an article, the Navy's adopting certain aspects of that for their promotion mm-hmm. system. And they say the amount of, uh, and, so, and it was a significant number that were slated for command and their evaluation said, hey, they're they're the top of their peer group. Like, a, I'm not, I don't want to say this number, but it's somewhere around 30% got, the deck got restacked. Oh, wow. Way. And so to me, that tells me that's a pretty good, yeah, look right a more 360 honest yeah honest yeah yeah. or objective more objective objective. exactly
0: yeah yeah
1: and uh, and i think that it's too soon to tell but i think what you're going to see is more effective commanders better morale less release for cause Mm -hmm. for unethical illegal be immoral behavior right things like that i mean it'll be interesting to see but to me it's and a guy, JP McGee, was the first talent management guy that sort of set it up. He's now the CG of the 101st. He used to be in Second range of Battalion and First range of Battalion. Um, and we'll see. But I think it's a definitely a positive step going to the next level on getting good leaders. Because you're biased, right? You're going to pick. Sure. I mean, we you're, all are. you're 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 always going to be personally <clears throat> biased towards those things. Right. Like, and you, you, a lot of times, you promote or select in your own image. Absolutely. I mean, right. it's, it's true even when you're building
0: a company and you're selecting people for the right. company, you're selecting for your own image versus selecting sometimes for the right, uh, the right, right. personality Attributes. or person and their right. attribute for the
1: job. Now, I don't want to say that that's completely wrong because you have to have people that you're working with that you trust. Sure. I mean, you want, you, and I don't mind having a contrarian in the group, you know, is, I mean, when I say contrarian. They, they, they can, they can someone, be like. Very detrimental to culture. They can be if they're not, but you want somebody candid so, yeah. that has the freedom to disagree a, with. Some people just disagree to disagree. Right. right? And, that's and, and that's like a, and contrarian. That's a contrarian. Yeah, <laughs> you know, a contrarian is not a good description, no. but someone that's candid and has the moral courage to say, you know, I don't know if we want to go this way with our company.
0: I think it takes a very special person. Like I really do. I think it takes a very special person to to be objective and critical without um without sounding like a contrarian too right so i i've struggled with that with a lot of different personalities in the last yeah. 20 years where people will just disagree to fucking disagree yeah, you yeah, know or yeah. they're emotional about something yeah. and they don't know why they're angry and they don't know why they don't want to do it but then they whatever it might be you know it could be that they're just tired or they've got fatigue or whatever it might be yeah, they're just yeah, like yeah. you know what I don't
1: like an and they're thing. trying to
0: articulate it in a tactical circumstance and you're like well,
1: you just yeah well you're you're thinking at a level above them right you are you're thinking about the good of the company and what's next but i would also say you're it takes a special individual to take criticism, like mm. uh, you know, when I was a Marine sergeant, I was a reserve sheriff at Whidbey Island, Washington. In fact, I was going to get out and become a right. sheriff until I realized the pay really sucks and the hours right. are even worse. Fifteen bucks an hour, or something. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. Police are underpaid yeah, by very I mean yeah. school teachers and police, in right. my opinion. Um, but you know, I had I went to this academy thing in uh, Seattle, and I had an instructor say to me, not to me, but to our class. He said, "You know." When someone says something that you don't want to hear, the first thing you got to do is distinguish is it constructive criticism or mm. is it a verbal attack? Right. Once you make that determination, then you can react accordingly. If it's a verbal mm. attack, you just dismiss it. Sure. Right. I mean, I'm sure, you know, there will be people that have bad things to say about our podcast. That's true. Some of them will be constructive. You should do this. Some of them will just be.
0: Yeah. And those are, you know, in today's world, right? It's, um, you know, in, in, constructive criticism is always taken into account specifically related to this show if it's a verbal attack that's just a troll right so right. it's, a, it's a, it, so you dismiss it you just right? dismiss you characterize
1: it characterize it as that and right. you dismiss it but on the constructive criticism side it doesn't mean it's easy so i i had it's a, difficult i had it's very difficult because mm-hmm. it's your ego right yeah so i had a sard major that i respect greatly um, that's now retired a soft guy um and I was, uh, you know, he asked for a VTC with me. And I, had, I, was, a, I was a two-star. And I'd been over to his unit because we were doing gender integration and we were doing some things. And, you know, I had gotten with these sergeant majors and senior leaders of this unit, both men and women, and had a sort of a round table thing to talk mm-hmm. about it. And, you know, I said something. And, you know, in my mind, I was saying it to make a point. You know, we had had you know the 160th had been a boys club just like everything else yeah. for years right so at the tactical level there was it was all males mm-hmm. and we were integrating and i i i was making a point to try to describe that it's hard to integrate right we had to go through the team rooms and say that's inappropriate that's inappropriate that's inappropriate and one of the things that was inappropriate that we had pulled out i described it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a few people were offended by that. They didn't say anything to me, but this SAR major called me and he said, I'll never forget. Uh, and I, I hope he hears this because I've always been indebted to him for this. But he said, hey, sir, do you mind if I put on the hat of being your sergeant major for a couple minutes? I said, no, it'd be great. And he said, hey, this didn't go well. They thought the way you described this was inappropriate. And, you know, they felt like you weren't supportive of this policy, which is not true. I was supportive of it. And, uh, and I said, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that I came across and it hurt my feelings to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I mean, I thought, you know, I felt bad. I wasn't angry with him. I just felt disappointed in myself and misunderstood. Right. But, you know, I, you know, I guess the word is processing it. So I, you know, I stepped back from it. I, when somebody tells me something or gives me some criticism, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, more time than I do spend, certainly more time than I spend thinking about a compliment. Right. Um and I went back to that SAR major later and said, Hey, you know, I really appreciate you having the moral courage to tell me that. Um and really the things that have uh, that I needed to hear the most to be a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better leader were the things I wanted to hear the least. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I valued that. I want it was important to me to make sure that I went back. Him and reinforced it. Hey, you did the right thing. You were helpful to me, and maybe made our army a little bit better by doing that.
0: Well, I think those people that are listening to that, you can you can you can think about that in twofold, which is you know if you're managing and leading people, being able to take in criticism in a very professional and dignified way it's like um that that is a skill, and it goes back to one of your principles, which is communication, right? You know, so. You can feed that back in. I think as a subordinate that works for a manager or a leader, you also have to be able to refine your pitch and your approach to how you Mm -hmm. give somebody criticism. But it will also, if you've done your best, to give somebody criticism in a very professional way. And that leader or manager is not willing or able to process it in a professional way. You can find out a lot about that that leader too because... No, uh, what is it, Marcus Aurelius, uh, uh, ego, uh, ego is the obstacle, or uh, it's, it's partially quoting things, but your ego interferes with individual evolution, both professionally and individually. And telling that thing, like doing your best to slay it on a regular, which would go back to your humility or, or being mm-hmm. humble, like I, I can't tell you how many times I've run into leaders and managers and to include myself in the context of like, I have to continue to, tr- to, to beat that thing down because now I'm in a position where have got you know, 700 employees. Nobody wants to fucking tell me. No. They, cool. they don't want to tell me hard news no. ever. No. Because one they don't know me well enough to understand that I'm probably going to be able to absorb that. Uh, Or two, um, they also don't want to disagree because disagreeing with me could, in their minds could be, you know, the death mail of their, of their professional development. Professional career. Professional career. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And well, and two, I think they, they weigh too much in the context of like, you know, you're as a leader or manager, people think that, you know, Everything like, yeah. oh, so I've had this example multiple times where, you know, you know, I get this question a lot from a lot of different business owners, especially if that's that have transitioned into business and they're trying to develop and grow their companies. And they ask me, like, what, how, how are you doing it? I'm like, I'm, I'm not the best at this, it like, stretches the imagination. No. I'm not even close to this, but. The one thing I will say is like empathy, being able to care not only about your company, but the people that work within the company. You can't fake that shit.
1: No, you You can't. People see right
0: through it. They see right through it. If if you don't like spending time with people, it doesn't matter what, uh, you know, McKenzie podcast you listen to or what Harvard's business school study you read. You can't fake it. If you don't, want to grow and mentor people, it's going to be very difficult because it's going to make your compounding problem even worse because you need people. You need yes. teams. You need goals. You need a mission. You want to be passionate about leading people and pushing them across a the line and finishing tasks. Like that's, you need people. Right. And if you're an asshole, that house of cards is going to come like falling in on you eventually. You might be able to fake the shit fake the funk for a while, but eventually that stuff comes tumbling in. I think the military at times, could be wrong, you can totally disagree with me, it provides a infrastructure of support that allows some inauthentic leadership to move forward and advance because they understand the system. Like if they work within the confines of the system, Mm -hmm. they can continue to be promoted and put into uh, uh, different roles and responsibilities while being a more career driven than they are mission driven i'm not saying that's i'm not saying that's true across the military no no i'm no, saying no.
1: no i i i get your point i think but i would so i would a couple of thoughts on that that's i think that's the same in any large bureaucratic sure. organization you're going to have the same thing yep so you've got Folks that project well up and out, that their focus is up and out. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, like if I'm working for you, is it, are you, is the Clay Hupmacher that deals with CEO Evan Hafer the same person that deals with my teammate right. to my left or right or the subordinates that work for mm-hmm. me? There, I've seen a lot of cases where you have almost three different personalities. You have that personality that's up and out, mm-hmm. you know, pandering to their superior. You have, you know, and as a different person to their peers, their peers, you know, maybe they're not a team player, or right. they're you know out for themselves, and then they're a, you know a potentially a different personality, down, more toxic. Oh yeah, interesting. And so, I you know, and I think that I, I think that any evaluation system. That's, you know, that you're susceptible to that. You mm-hmm. know, the Army will redo their officer valuation report about every, and I'm, I think the other services may fall, probably fall, so I can't say for sure, because you start to work the system, mm-hmm. right? I mean, oh, yeah. you start understanding how, and that's why I think this new talent management thing with a true 360 mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, it's a journey, not a destination, but now you're actually getting a more I, I, objective is, I don't think you're ever going to get fully objective, but more objective mm. of that leader and his or her skills. Um, and I, I, I applaud that. I was skeptical of it, to be honest with you. I'm like, wait a minute, this person has gotten officer evaluation reports for the last 20 years to get to Colonel. And now we're going to, hang all that into balance. And these are all different leaders that are giving them those evaluations. So, you know, you start theoretically with a blank slate every time you move to a new duty station. Right. Because nobody gets to look at your officer evaluation reports or NCOERs, NCO evaluation reports from the last one. Mm -hmm. Now, your reputation may follow you for sure, but not your evaluation. But, you know, I said, wow, we're going to hang all of those, this sort of, all these different looks from all these different leaders and we're going to base it on what happens in their 360 or their interview. And I was skeptical, to be yeah. honest. I was very skeptical. Um, but I think I was wrong. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, what I'm hearing from guys that are active and gals that are active is it's a good system. It's not mm-hmm. perfect, but it's better than what we had. And we're getting better leaders out the other end. So you're right. I mean, how do you, and, you know, how the people that are dealing with you when you walk around, they're going to have a different face. You know, they're going to have, you know, they're going to, hey, here's the boss. Right. You know, so how do you really get to where the rubber meets the road? And I, I think you've I, got to be disarming and you've got yeah. to be present.
0: Well, I think for me, like, I, I'm in a different circumstance, right? Because, right. like, I don't have professional peers. I have subordinates. Right. And that puts me into a, a really hard situation because I can't even get legitimate peer feedback other than when it comes to like Jared or Matt. Right. You know, because they're, they're more peer than they are subordinate. But it's, you struggle, and especially as, as the company gets bigger, you struggle for legitimate feedback. I'm a huge believer yeah, in 360. It's the truth. Gets My wife probably gives me the most My wife constructive does the feedback where she's like, you're an asshole.
1: But And that's hard to hear, right? Even from your wife. I've heard it so much. You <laughs> know, it's getting, it's, too, getting huh? it's getting easier. It's getting easier and easier wife used to say every day. It. She'd say, Hey, everybody kisses your ass <laughs> yeah. all day at work. I'm here yeah. to keep it real, baby. Yeah. And, and she, and you know, we have, we have this conversation all the time. I mean, she says a lot of things that I don't want to hear. Right. But 90%, not everything, but 90% of the time she's right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the, uh, one that point I wanted to make is you said, you know, well, if you're an asshole. So I think you got to distinguish between high standards. You want to have, there's nothing wrong with having high standards. In fact, I think the best organizations are organizations that are standards-based. Like here's yeah. the standard, yep. right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, and you got to meet that. It's, you know, and you can still make hard decisions like, Evan, you're not meeting the standard. I got to let you go. You know, and some, not everybody's going to take that well. Most won't. Most won't, but if you're if you're still got the organization in mind, Mm -hmm. and if you're transparent when you make that decision, and you're honest, you know most people shy away from those situations. You know, like hey, so it's so interesting
0: because you you point this out. I don't quite understand why people are so reluctant to have honest and transparent conversations with subordinates and peers. I've seen this cycle of Mm -hmm. and i used to look at it and i have a much greater understanding of it now but when i worked uh, at the agency it that used to drive me fucking crazy (laughs) because a person wouldn't have a hard conversation with you but they Mm -hmm. would turn around the corner and they would say the things that they wanted to tell you about your professional behavior to somebody else right and that was just like the act of cowardice that it was just totally. completely unacceptable to me. And then when you call them, you like step in front of them and go, please tell me what it is that is going to make me better at my job. Because you told so-and-so over here, why not you just, you tell, just me tell me now? I didn't say anything. And I've seen that over that behavior. That's, that's an innate human behavior for some reason. Just,
1: you hit the nail on the head. People don't like to, I don't like to go into. but if I've got, you know, I've got my daily schedule here and right. I'm like, well, at two o'clock, I've got to have a hard conversation with Evan. You know, I'm not looking forward to that. Ooh, no. you know, yay. Yeah. I get Nobody hard, looks forward to no, that. No, but you've got to, as a leader, you've got to mature mm-hmm. and you've, uh, to the point where you're willing to have those. Cause you're mm-hmm. doing the, you're doing the individual a disservice by not having that. Mm-hmm. You're doing the organization a disservice by that. And by not having that conversation and, but, you know, you've got to make, you've, you can also, I think, have it and maintain credibility with like, hey, I found that when I'm having a hard conversation, so if I'm counseling you and I say, okay, let's say it's, um, you're doing unacceptable stuff at work, sure. your productivity's down, you're being specific when you talk to them and say, you know, not saying, hey, Evan, you always do this. Well, that's a very general state. Generality. Statement. I yeah. say, hey, Evan, on November 17th, right. you were late. On November 15th, you were late again. November 13th, you you yelled at one of your peers and you did this. And you can tell, and whatever it is, whatever yeah. behavior it is, if you can document it. And I don't mean document in a CYA yeah. perspective, but now it's harder for you or me to say, I don't always do that. He said that. That's not true. Yeah. But when I say, did this happen on this date, this date? You know, now it's, I think it lends itself to a more candid, productive conversation. And you can say, look, my objective here is not to tear you down, Evan. It's to let you know about this. I don't want there to be any surprises down the road. These are things you have to correct. Mm-hmm. You have to come to work on time. I need you to be a good team player because it takes a, a team to put out our product, mm. a quality product. And there's, it's not a zero sum game, right. right? I don't get ahead at your expense kind of thing. But so it is technique and I'm not an expert. I, the one thing I would tell you about that I've learned about being leadership is there are no leadership experts. Mm. You're, you may be more proficient than others based on experience and positions right. that you've held. But I went to take over the Special Ops Warrior Foundation. It was 16 people, and I remember I'm doing the crossover with Vice Admiral Joe McGuire, and I I didn't even know how many people were in it. I said, well, "How many people are in here?" He said, "16." And I remember in my head, that's exactly what I said: "16." How hard could that be? <laughs> well, it's 16. It's a different culture, different culture. It's, you know, you have to treat them different. Yeah. There's different legalities, different regulations. And I, and I've grown as a leader because I'm in a new environment. Mm. I'm in the business world now in the corporate world. I've been in several, bo- I'm on several boards right on the side. I'm allowed to do that. A completely different type of leadership in a corporate board than it is. Completely a, different. Right. And so to me, I do think, you know, that it is, you're never going to get away from people avoiding hard conversations, mm. but that has to be a key part of your professional development of your subordinates. and. You've got to incentivize that. Mm-hmm. You've got to value that. So when you value that as a CEO, because McChrystal said, so when he McChrystal took over JSOC, he made a statement, you know, and um, and I know, you know, you know, McChrystal's, you know, he's got different political views than me, certainly in a lot of areas, but I respect the hell out of him. Yeah, I work I, for him.
0: Like I, I, I... Everybody, like, on the show, too, I think they 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 don't really care. Right. In that context, it's like McChrystal is, uh, he He's had a, a lot of great professional attributes. Oh, I don't give a shit what his politics driven, was. led yeah. by example.
1: Okay. And, you know, when he when he changed command for JSOC. Right. You know, it was a very short, except, you know, the incoming guy doesn't get to talk, really. Right. But all he said was, before he hopped off the stage and sat with his wife, as he said, don't make me to be the first asshole in the chain of command. And what he meant by that, or what I believe he meant by that, is don't push hard decisions. Right? Like I'd see like an award. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah Manage like, up. <laughs> like yeah, hey, Sergeant Hafer right. you know, wants to put himself in for a well, thinks he should get a silver star. Now I don't think he deserves a silver star, but I'm gonna like okay. I want to be I want to be Evan's friend, so I'm gonna put him in for a silver star and put that burden on somebody else. On somebody else, yeah. You got to look. I at see a lot
0: of that too. i right. see a and lot that of that me, too. Yeah. That's a that, good
1: point. But I tell guys, hey, if I see that, if I see that you're pushing these things up, then, I mean, you're telling me something. You, you've got a gap as a leader, mm-hmm. right? And that you've got to be able to make the hard calls. I mean, it's okay to have a discussion with me about, it. hey, we were on this objective. These are the things that happened. Evan frankly thinks that he should have a silver star. Now that tells me something when a guy's putting himself in for his own award, but, but let's say, but you know, I want to have a conversation with you, sir, about it, or Mm ma'am, before I write this award, I'm here's what happened. Here's where his or her actions on during this engagement. What do you think? You know, other than like, well, I don't really think he deserves it or she deserves it, but I'm not willing to tell him no. And I'm going to push it up. Now I say all that that's very critical of first line Mm -hmm. eaters, I believe that I didn't do well as a platoon leader. I had Cliff Walcott who was killed in Somalia. Donovan Briley was in my platoon. Mike Durant was in my platoon. And we went through Panama together. We were in Desert Storm together. And we got close. I was a platoon leader for a long time. Mm. And I lost objectivity, right? I mean, I, I think I got too friendly. There is something to be said about having a professional and i'm not saying that you're a cold-hearted aloof son of a bitch what i'm saying is that you've got to retain the objectivity to make the right call mm-hmm. if if somebody's not meeting the standard and that gets harder the gets longer harder. you know one. and you be and you're deployed with these guys mm-hmm. bare your friend i mean yeah your friends right so i'm not saying that uh, that it's that i'm condemning anyone or criticizing them i'm saying understand that's going to happen -hmm. And how do you learn from that and try to retain some objectivity? Which is your role as a leader? And it's human beings are complex,
0: right? They've got the. And what we're doing compared to human being, like being human, is very complex. A mission is fairly simple. It can be very difficult. That compared to the human psychological and physical circumstance it's not complex like you know taking a compound is not as complex as the 75 guys and their combined psychology and physical circumstance it's just yes. not so it's simplifying you know human beings its psychological and physical circumstance manifesting it in a tactical or in ttp's yeah. in order to accomplish a goal or an objective right it's it's right. fucking when we look at it from that perspective, because humans are so complex and distilling it down to something that might be very simple, in some ways that even creates more frustration for people because they're like, this is so simple. You mean all I have to do is carry this off and fucking hump it up that hill?
1: Yeah. It's like, all the stuff that came behind that. <laughs> yeah. When you asked like, me attributes and I, one thing I was trying, it was on in my brain housing group, but I couldn't pull it up. Was consistency right? That's another thing. Is you know when you walk into your boss's office, you should know how he or she's going to react on a given issue because they're consistent. This is this is what their values are. Have you ever had a leader where you never know what you're going to get? You walk in there, you'll have something like schizophrenic or whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly right in front of the company headquarters, and they lose their mind. Yeah, or hey, we came in and we had we just crashed an aircraft and. You know, oh, that's okay. Everything's cool. We'll listen. Right. Mistakes happen. Um, so I think leadership is the toughest task that I've yet to master. It's not, it's not like it's physically hard or mentally hard every moment of every day, but to be a, an effective leader consistently mm-hmm. over time is difficult. Very difficult, and, it, and it, it really is a journey and not a destination, right? You know, it's.
0: You're exactly right. It, I mean, I'm. You know, 44. Uh, I would never classify myself as a subject matter expert in the subject whatsoever. Uh, I'm continuing to be a student yes, because exactly you see people and there's always something to learn in reference to this. And I always feel like I'm always coming up short. Like it's like, there's like, I'm never, wow, I've crossed the finish line. I got a trophy on this. Right. It's like, I'm never there. I'm always going to be, you know, in the middle of the pack or whatever, you know, uh, as we talk about, you know, spending time with people in the company or, or, or people in their, regiment or whomever it was as a commander, like there's 700 people here. Yeah. Like it's impossible can't, for me. I can't. And you've
1: got other responsibilities. Yeah.
0: yeah, I got you know, family and, you know, uh,
1: life you know, balance, all that kind absolutely. of
0: stuff. Absolutely. So, you know, I get the question. And I try to put, put this in frame of reference for other vets that are out there trying to make a good transition, get into the professional yeah. work environment or start a business, whatever it might be. You know, leadership is one of those things that that it is a, it is a skill that you're never going to master. And one of the biggest things you can do is just get in the trenches with people and look at people and how they manage and lead and quite literally OJT and go, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's great. Like, man, I, I, I learned so much from Clay in this. You know what? Wonder who else Clay knows that I can talk to, and then right. start asking them questions. And then they're going to recommend books, and they're going to recommend, you know, TED Talks or whatever it might be. Right? right? right it's gonna. Right, right. It puts you in this weird, I would say, educational um, evolution where you're constantly trying to become better at something that you're never going to be great at.
1: You're exactly <laughs> right. The only thing I would add to that is. Don't underestimate the value or the lessons that you learn from bad leaders. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. So you're I, right. I've, yeah, I've yeah, been right. with some horrible leaders that right. were, I mean, I I don't understand how they got past private or right. and I've and sadly I've seen them at all levels of right. my career. But I've and as <clears throat> excuse me, as painful as that is you know, And when you're in that place, it's not a good place, mm-hmm. right? Your morale's down. But when you get on the backside of working for that bad leader, you come away with, I will never do that. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, when your yeah. dad or parents did something to you. That, you're like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. Yeah. Um. But I do think you get a lot of valuable lessons from those bad leaders. Like, hey, I will not do that, you know? Um. And and don't confuse popularity with being mm, a good leader. Right. Though, Have you ever seen the guy that wants to be, or gal that wants to be everybody's friend that mm. is, they inevitably, in my, what my observation has been, they're not successful as not leaders. Not successful because yeah. they- They're not respected.
0: They're not respected. They can't have difficult conversations with people, which right. is part of the job. Which is a critical part It's of a the critical job. part of the job where if you can't have- difficult conversations that are fact-based because that was the other thing that you, you touched on, which is when you're speaking in, you know, in, in generalities and you're not being very specific and you're being fact-based and you're trying to be as objective and and the least emotional as possible in these conversations where you have to say, these are the reasons why I think you're falling short. These are the Mm -hmm. reasons, these are the things that I think you can do in order to fix your, 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 your professional behavior, whatever that might be. And here's the other key to that, that I continue to talk to, to business owners about, which is it's okay for you to have a perspective as to how the person wants, the the person and their personality interacts within your company, because it's ultimately your island. You get to right, choose yeah, yeah, yeah. how you're, people you're behave. King. You you're get to king. build the culture. right? And I think a lot of people find themselves in circumstances where they're trying to recreate the culture from maybe, you know, a military or something like that, which might not be a personal or personality fit for them, like, it's going to be easier for you. If you start building your culture, and it's not a cult of personality, it's the culture of the company around the type of uh, communication style that you want.
1: Values. Yeah, yeah. It's going to
0: be easier for you, right? right? It's going to be easier because you can also say, you didn't exemplify one of the values of my company. You might be professionally qualified and you might be right. carry
1: you. intangible but still relevant.
0: Correct. Very relevant.
1: You know, have you ever heard that term that culture eats strategy for lunch? Uh-uh. So right. I've I've heard that right. several times over my career, and it's absolutely true. Yeah. You're right. So and culture organizational culture is enduring right so long after evan hafer's retired and is sitting on his front porch and can't even remember his own front first name right the culture that you've established in black rifle will it'll it, it may have subtly evolved but it's right. going to be essentially the same right um i you know i look back at the company that I was at in the one hundred and sixty, there were two companies, C and D company, both Blackhawk companies, both distinctly different personalities. Right? Really? Yes. That's I mean, interesting. Yeah. And and you know, one of them was sort of boring. That was my company. You know, the other one was a, a, a little more lively, is what I'll say. Um, but <laughs> my my point is, the faces of that were there when I was there are long since gone. They're long since retired. But I, when I came back, because I was gone for a long time. I yeah. left as a lieutenant after Desert Storm. I went to AFSOC. I did some other assignments. I came back as the executive officer of the battalion. But what my observation was, the faces were all different. There was not a single face in that organization. It, those two organizations was there when I was there. Right. But the cultures were almost exactly the same. Really? Yeah. And so to me, that was interesting, right? yeah. Like, yeah. Culture endures, right? Because, and I think my my layman's theory on that is: okay, when Evan was the CEO, I came in under Evan, right? And I learned from Evan, right? And so then I carry that, and I share what I learned from Evan with who's going Mm -hmm. to follow me, right? And that's my theory of why this organizational culture endures. Now, you know, I think there's that's the logic behind when you see somebody buy acquires a company. And they'll come in and they, they're going to they're gonna assimilate the smaller acquisition into the broader organizational right. culture. Well, and I just, and this is something I've learned since I've been out on boards and in the corporate world is a lot of organizations will come in and they'll just decapitate all the leadership. All of it, yeah. Right, and they put in their own people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it sounds pretty draconian, but I mean, right. it's not like they, you know, they get a good severance package, I'm sure. But if you think about it, that makes in one way that makes sense. Because if you wanted to assimilate and, re, and take on the culture. Culture, you of, have to replace the leadership. You do. They, yeah, have, you have, they to. have to be bought in correct. to the large The mission, culture. yeah, the culture, yeah. You're yeah right. And organizations take on, my experience has been that organizations take on the values and the priorities of their leadership. Mm-hmm. When I walk into an organization, when I walk around, even if I don't, the, the commander, he or she is gone, and they're not there yeah. that day as a general officer, I could quickly figure out, because I always say, hey, I want to have lunch with the young troops, and then right. I want to have, you know, I want to have a meeting with the NCOs, and I want to have a meeting with the, in aviation with the warrant officers, and then the commission. And in, this, in the span of all those meetings, whether it takes a half a day, because as a general, nobody lets you walk around unsupervised. <laughs> right. right? I you mean, might get I lost. could get away with it as a lieutenant colonel. <laughs> I could get away with it as a general. I mean, people's like head pops off their mm-hmm. shoulders and you yeah. But you can get an idea of the culture of that organization. And I'd be like, hmm, I can't put my finger on it quite yet, but there's something going on. Right? Here, right? There's something that we may have a toxic leader here. Something whatever. broken. You can right, feel you know, it. Something broken. You can feel it. Yeah. And it may take and that, but then that tells me, hey, you gotta focus mm-hmm. another um more time on that particular organization to figure out what right. it was. Hey, another point I just thought of, we I, we do and I've ever done it, but I've done a McChrystal was a big guy to do staff rides at Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of it, right? So we the Army War College will lead. They have a foundation that will lead corporate oh, yeah. mm-hmm. trips up yep. there. And there was this one colonel, and I can't I can't remember his name, but he was the only later in life, he was the only the first guy to successfully use the temporary insanity defense. I think he killed his wife or something when she cheated on him and he wow. went to court. This is back, you know, in the eighteen hundreds. Oh,
0: oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But
1: My point was, is Grant, this guy, this Colonel, Grant didn't like this guy. And, you know, in looking at this instructor, this guy leading the staff rights, because the guy was a narcissist, he was a jackass, he was incompetent. So Grant, and this is another human um, tendency, he didn't want to spend time with him because he was a jackass and he was incompetent he was a narcissist. Yeah, exactly. So you want to spend time with people you want to spend time with. Right. But if you think about it from an organizational perspective, two things, that person that is in your organization that isn't performing is probably the person you need to spend more time with. Now, if you can also make the argument that...
0: You need to fire him.
1: Well, yeah, you got to (laughs) be, I think, well, the term that this guy used and the same thing is you've got to be ruthless on incompetence. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was reading Matt Best's book... You know, thank you that's for my... a good my, plug. That's is. a well, good the plug. End, he ties it you all You can buy together. that
0: on Amazon at, uh, it's fourteen ninety nine, I believe, or
1: something like that. I actually, you know, in the opening, he flies that mission out in Western mm-hmm. Iraq. Yeah, yeah. I, that I, I flew that mission with him.
0: Yeah, that's what he was saying. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, I mean, but that was sort of, yeah, I am reading it, I'm like, wait a minute. I remember that mission, you know. sort yeah. of. But in the end, what I liked about the book too was he, he talked about there's an accountability. Yeah, being a veteran's great but you can't just ride that. Mm-hmm. You've got to build on that and you're still accountable.
0: You're, you're still accountable. I think in a wide variety of circumstances, you know, just because you, you're a veteran doesn't mean you're a good human. It doesn't mean that right. you're a good father or husband or a, you know a good citizen. It just means that you did something. You, right. And so when we look at the entire veteran community, there's a wide variety of people out there that have from all walks of service mm-hmm. in life. And some of those guys are, are not great people.
1: No, I mean, and, it, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, a, it's, it's a statistical certainty.
0: It is, yeah, right. it's a statistical certainty. It's, it's, uh, and I think there's a lot of people out there that sometimes get, um, well, it's, too, there's, there's, it's a human condition. It's super complex. It is. I think there's a lot of veterans that what they need to hear is that what you need to do is, is elevate the perception of, of the term veteran and be even more driven than your civilian peers yes. in order to elevate their image of service. Because the image of service for a huge percentage of civilians is one, they're, they're, they have they, they, they have a heroic image of service in some circumstances. That's not always true. Not always true. Uh, and then they also have a, the image of um the, the, the veteran that needs like psychological help because yeah, of yeah, yeah. PTSD, you know, PTSD, Yeah, yeah. TBI, all that. Yeah. When you when you look at it from a from a statistical point of view, right? When you look at the overall service of Iraq and Afghanistan in the last twenty years, uh what what is it one point five million people, give or take? I think it was something like that It's rotated so in. Rotate it in. We'll it yeah. call that?
1: Yeah, it's pretty good size combat veteran community here it for is. sure yeah yeah they we're in it for quite Standard a few years of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah 20 years basically 20
0: years and you look at you know 1.5 million veterans and you look at you know 10% they say 10% give or take of those saw direct combat
1: yeah and that's would, actually I'm high surprised. i would say that's a it's actually high, high. yeah
0: they they're classifying direct combat as like indirect on fire bases and mm-hmm. uh, which is like I don't classify it as that. And I, I, I look at direct combat as you have faced the enemy, right, and engaged in combat. A, I, w- <laughs> I would be shocked
1: that that was one percent.
0: I, I think it's more. I think it's more. Uh, I think you're 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 probably more correct. I think it's one so percent. It's a it's one percent of one point five million. Which, if we look at one point five million and one percent of
1: 15,000.
0: 15, yeah. But if we look at the special operations community and the infantry and the combat arms community over the course of the last 20 years, the numbers kind of ring true, to be fair. Yeah. Like they kind of ring true. Now I would escalate that based on, uh, you, you know, a lot of your infantry units, a uh, significant amount of,
1: of work. Oh, yeah, like, depending on when you serve. Pre-surge, correct. surge, yeah. Iraq, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point of this
0: entire conversation is just, Crayola math for you and I to sit down and do just the numbers on it. The amount of PTS that's actually in service that's directly representing a lot of the, I would say, image of veterans, it's not statistically accurate in the sense of a lot of civilians think that veterans have anxiety and stress-related issues because of this. But you're looking at a fairly small but significant portion of the veteran community.
1: Yeah.
0: And- I think that most of the veterans that are out there would feel that they're inappropriately uh, stigmatized based on that. Yeah. And you have to work. And that's what I would say, going back to my conversation, is the term veteran is you have to work to elevate the term in the eyes of your subordinates, your management, your Mm -hmm. peers, your community and elevate the term into like professionally dignified and psychologically stable, right. Versus playing directly into some form of stereotype. Right. And propagating stereotypes. That's my own. Well, and
1: and I, I, I I don't disagree with anything there. What I would say is what I tell guys is, and this is, you know, my observations on my own personal journey after leaving the service, right. Is that, Your service has resulted in you having a lot of intangible characteristics and qualities Mm -hmm. that are not commonly found, regardless of whether you saw combat or not. Right. That are not commonly found in the civilian world. When I got out, things that I knew as a corporal or as a buck sergeant in the Marine Corps, basic leadership stuff. Basic. Basic. I mean, things that I thought, well, I would have said, Four years ago. Well, everybody knows that. It's not, not true. Not true. <laughs> not true. It's not true. So I say, so, and how many times have you had somebody who's technically very good at their job, but they lack those intangible leadership things that, that really uh, marginalize the skills, the technical skills they bring right. to the table? So a veteran, in most cases, I would say almost all, they bring to the table when they make that transition out of uniform, mm-hmm. they bring a lot of in a lot of intangible value in leadership. Problem is it's hard to measure that, right? Yes. And so, but that just means that you've got part of the solution. You know, you've got to, you know, like running a business and it's profit and loss and it's, you know, productivity and all of the things and supply chain, whatever mm-hmm. it is, those are skill sets that you need to learn the technical things. It's like right. me flying a new airplane, are you getting a new weapon system or whatever? Um, but you have the important things and many times the things that really can't be taught,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Um, unless you experience them. So the key is understand what They're you They're difficult. Bring. Yeah, but that doesn't yeah. mean that people recognize those on the outside. You know, like I've seen a lot of veterans, they rapidly, once they get into a company... Climb the climb. ladder, yeah, because they have those intangible mm-hmm. things, but that doesn't relieve you from the responsibility or requirement to learn and to understand your new environment that you're operating in and and to overcome those stigmas right because mm-hmm. you'll I have a friend of mine who's uh retired as a battalion commander out of the one sixty he's a senior executive now right. for Bank of America, mm-hmm. and he would tell me when he first got there, you know he thought the guys hired him so that he could tell war stories. You know, he said, now you got to do more about that eventually, but guys are coming. Hey, what's it like in Iraq? What, what really happened right there? What happened in Afghanistan? You know, I mean, they're, they're curious. They're truly curious. Um, But he said, you know, but he, he still add to add value. Now he's like a, I don't know if he's a C-suite guy, if I would say that, but he's close if not. Um, And he's still on, you know, he's still riding the escalator. So, I think what you're, you're, you've got to overcome those stigma, stigma, you know, those, those stigmas that come, that travel with you or in the minds, those misperceptions that everyone's got PTSD, <laughs> yeah. everyone's damaged, right? Mm-hmm. For the good They're of the They're all country, damaged
0: goods, yeah. Right. Yeah, I yeah. think
1: you, you, do, but you do that through your competence and your actions and just, you got to go into it understanding, hey, I've got a lot of the important parts, but I still got a long way to go to prove right. value to the organization would be my thought on that. And I, and I think along the way, you actually change perceptions about service by your own personal actions and how you, how you present yourself and conduct yourself every day.
0: Oh, absolutely. A thousand percent. I think it's interesting you say that because I've often thought about how if we had a corporate PLDC, Mm-hmm. How appropriate that would be because these are. I, I was reading um, one. Of, I think it was like extreme ownership or disciple or discipline yeah, is uh, freedom or whatever. Uh, Jocko's Jocko. book, yeah, yeah. I was, where <laughs> I was like, a lot of this stuff is basic. It, it's PLDC and right. BNOCK put in yeah. corporate speak, and and you're like, well, well, of course, well, of course, like this is yes, of course, you know. Uh, you know, seek responsibility. Um, okay. okay. Is that a
1: novel concept? But that goes back to that earlier comment, things that you think are, using an army verbiage, 10 level tasks. Yeah, right, yeah, That you would expect from everyone. They're not, that's not common. It's not common. And I think that's a wake up
0: call for a lot of the guys from the community because they don't feel like they can provide instant value in a lot of companies as they transition. And my response to that is, no, you can provide exponential value because yes. you can manage and lead teams. You understand how to prioritize work. Anybody that's gone through pro- patrol-based you know, patrol procedures, priorities of work, and they understand how to manage and lead people and execute on tasks, they, they can be project managers and plug in and drive, across the, drive projects across the board. They understand what is commander's intent was your yes, mission Yes. was your mission like they understand this Triple is a language procedures. yeah they, yes. they understand all of this language it is so important in business from from my perspective that's i mean you know as a guy that has a, a few hundred veterans that work here when I say commander's intent, or when I say a five paragraph op order, most people know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah.
1: yeah. If I went to but this is a unique order.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if I went to Wells Fargo, they would yeah, look at me like God. a hog looking at a wristwatch. They'd be like, <laughs> yeah, "What the fuck exactly. are you talking about? Like this doesn't yeah. make any
1: sense so to you me." Put it in terms, and what I think that those books, what they do is they put it in terms that make sense to civilians. Right. But to me, the lesson is, is that it's not common, right? It's, it's not. not common. Leaders eat last, or. Right you know, putting others... I eat needs- first. Yeah. I, I, I push everybody
0: out of the way. Sometimes I push people down.
1: <laughs> we'll talk about that <laughs> I'm
0: hungry. That after. Yeah. I'm hungry.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that sort of leading by example thing.
0: Yeah, and that's if- the one thing. I'm not making it about me, but the one thing like every, every day, like if I fail at everything else, right? On communication, on candor, and anything else I say to myself, What can I do where my actions will speak louder than anything I might be able to say? What can I do that can lead by example? This, the entire project that I call Black Rifle Coffee is about leading by example. Yes. It's much easier to run a public or a private company than it is a public company. Much easier. You know why? Like, you know, one of the reasons, like one of the big reasons why I wanted to do this to take the company public. Was to show the veteran community that you can start a business, and in seven years you can grow that business from your garage, being publicly traded Great company, and not because I have some you know you know secret internal uh, you know life endeavor yeah, to have like a, a yacht, Marazzi helicopter oh, yeah, yeah. Com- com- combination. No, it's because the post nine eleven vet, and, and I'm not saying like. You know, the other veterans aren't important. I'm saying that's Mm with concentration of my effort. Right, right, right. Which is, if I fail at other things, the one thing I can do is show them that a bunch of knuckle-draggers that like to make dick jokes on the internet can do this in seven years. Like, there's a ton of guys, everybody, smarter than I am. Like, you guys can fucking do it. (laughs) And that's where it's like, if I can do it, yes, you can do it. Like, out of all the mistakes and things that you've made, it's like, man, the one thing I can do is go. These are the things that I think are important. This is what I can do for the veteran community. Why don't we lead by example? So if I forget everything else, I always, like, put that one thing. It's always always in my heads-up display. It's always in my heads-up display. It never goes away. It's like, my kids or my company or whomever it is, it's like, I might like to joke around and have a good time, but at the end of the day… Your actions
1: do speak, speak louder. louder than your words. They do. Absolutely. When people ask me what is, you know, is it, because you'll tell know, guys, well, I lead from the front. I say that, I don't, I don't agree with that statement. Sometimes you should lead from the front. Sure. Sometimes leading by example is that you're not in the front, right? Like I had a leader tell me, hey, where, where should you be as a leader? Well, you should be where some things you should consider where is your unit accepting the most risk right. where is the preponderance unit or where does your boss tell you to be
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but leadership by example that's why it's hard right because we hard. don't always want to you know sometimes we don't want to be a good example we're in a bad mood we're grumpy and i uh, and i think leading by example the techniques for effectively leading by example change you know it was easier to lead by example when you had 10 dudes and you sure. had one coffee roaster yeah. it's different now when you have 700 people geographically dispersed across mm. the united states and several states right so how do you continue to grow and uh, lead by example when you have when you face these different challenges it, and it, you've done that clearly and
0: well it, and it's funny you said that because i've heard that too it's like leading from the front and i'm like well where, where's the where's the place you need to be i'm like a combat effective leader goes to where he is needed on the battlefield because exactly. it's a dynamic <clears throat> and ever-changing circumstance and you you modify your physical and your communication behavior based on where you will be the most effective right. so it could be it's 360 degrees
1: yeah, you could be back at the ORP calling it or right. at a position calling in fires and orchestrating all the enablers for a target they don't right. need you as a rifleman no it's like i used to say listen they said hey do you get the, you know you fly a lot of combat missions and i said i do But if the 160th needs me as a regimental commander to wiggle the sticks and fly those (laughs) missions, we're in a bad place. Right. Right. Where am I? What does the regiment need me to do as an organization? And where am I most effective? And that's where you got to place yourself. And that's sometimes that's on the battlefield. Sometimes Mm. it's in a budget meeting.
0: Well, I, I do have a couple hard questions for you. Like, Like very difficult. And so I don't. By any stretch of the imagination, want to put you on the um, on the on the on the put you in the sights. I have the Afghan question, mm-hmm. which is politically sensitive, and you know I've been very open with the people on this podcast about uh, the Afghan withdrawal. You know, so I wanted to get that. I wanted to get to that with you, which is. How does this fail so badly? From, so from my perspective, I think it was clearly defined. Now, did we succeed at withdrawing? Some would define that as a success.
1: We're um, out. So, yeah, I think you could make that. Mission accomplished? On that withdrawal, yeah, yeah, clearly. Well, that you, right. I don't even know that you can say that. I don't think you can say that. I mean, if you're that. saying is withdrawal military forces or withdrawal of all Amer- is withdrawal complete with all Americans? Because I would but, say it's not. It's
0: not. So this is a long break, but right. uh, I did want to talk about the Afghan withdrawal okay. and I think a lot of us you you had some really good perspectives because you and I talked mm-hmm. i think a few times over this course. Um, I managed to team up with a group of other people we got uh, uh, freedom flight out of Mazar. we organized with a bunch of other people on the back end yeah. um By
1: professionals was a big part of that. Andy Wilson Mm -hmm. was helping, still helping. Still helping. There's
0: a lot of people still helping. And there's a lot of uh, general officers working in the background, I think, and E9 types that are working in the background, which I was very pleasantly surprised to see. Um, No offense to your peers, but at times I'm a bit disappointed in their leadership and some of these. You articulated uh, that in one of our phone calls rather <laughs> clearly.
1: <laughs> was what the fuck is wrong? Yeah, that was sort of what I remember, yeah. Yeah,
0: but I retract uh, at least a portion of my previous statements because there's a lot of people working really hard. And my question to you is, because you spent so much time in the machine, what, how does that happen? Like w- 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 from your perspective, where were the failures? I don't I don't need individual names. I'm not trying to hold anybody like right. right, like, right. I'm not trying to free, to get you to point fingers by the way. I'm just like how does something like this happen because from my perspective that was clearly definable as a failure. But that's one person's perspective, my opinion based on, you know, a lot of different information. But I, I would love to hear it from you know, a person like
1: yourself? Well, okay. So I, you know, I normally stay away from politics, so I won't. And I think both parties and both administrations own a piece of this. I think, you know, setting the conditions for this to happen. And then, you know, the current administration and the execution. No, I don't. Agree with a lot of the assertions that they had to do this; that they were painted in a corner by their previous administration. I don't believe that. Right. Um, I believe they. uh, This was. This was there. This was a decision. It's sort of like you know you got to own it. We talked about accountability and all of that. So there's two issues here. One: should we have withdrawn from Afghanistan at all? That's one issue. Okay. Um, And then the other issue is. Once the decision was made, the execution of that decision—right, mm-hmm. two separate issues. Right, you could have a, I think, a very good argument. I could actually argue it from both sides on whether we should withdraw it all. I mean, right. there's a strategic perspective that having a uh, power projection platform in Bagram would have been very good. We got the Russians to the north, the Chinese mm-hmm. to the to the northeast. You got the Iranians, um, to the West, Mm -hmm. uh, you've got the Pakistanis to the East and the South. I mean, what better place, you know, to, to have a, um, presence, Mm -hmm. right? It's strategic deterrence. Right. Now that's easy to say, but there's also a lot of, you know, it's, it's a landlocked country. You got to have overfly rights. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. People make the comparison. Well, and we're, we're still in South Korea, we're still in Germany, yeah, but, the, and I'm not saying that I disagree that there should have been a presence there. What I'm saying is uh, there's differences, right? right? There's differences between uh, South Korea, Germany, and Japan, I guess, and Afghanistan. Right. Um, but, so let's leave aside whether we should or should not have withdrawn. Okay. okay, that's not, I think what we want to talk about is more the execution. <sighs> execution. So ultimately... Um, you know, I think that the military, um, they're culpable right They're, you know, they're part of it, but we're, you know, civilian control of the military is part of our democracy. And I agree with that
0: 100%.
1: I think, you know, at the end of the day, the chairman's job, general Milley's job is to provide best military advice Mm -hmm. to the president and the secretary of defense. Whether you agree with that advice or not, he did that. Right. Okay. And you can just go back and look at the testimony and what General McKenzie said, what Millie said. General Miller's testimony was closed, but I think they were all in line that, you know, about a, uh, some sort of presence. Um, so my personal opinion is, I, and I, let me offer my, I was sick to my stomach over the whole thing. And I mm. normally, We'll get angry about political issues, but then it passes. But this one really um, affected me. I mm-hmm. felt, you know, like we should have executed this better. I, not only with the Afghans, it's through their lot in with us that we had an obligation to take care of them because they put themselves at risk to support yep. us. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think we did the right thing by getting them out ultimately. But also our allies, our allies got sort of stuck, right? They had to, when we're pulling out, now they have to pull out. So I, my personal opinion, and this is as a retired guy from the outside looking in, and I'm not making excuses, I'm just saying my optic may be some, I wasn't in the room. Right. Is that this was executed very poorly. Um, I think it was rushed. Uh, I'm not sure why, but You know, normally the way it is, I think, a responsible decision maker would make this decision is, okay, General Hafer, you know, a title you've always aspired to. Always. Um, You know, my end state is I want to have zero presence, boots on the ground in Afghanistan. I want you to come back to me with a plan to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And then that's what the military does well, right? They got all these planners and they go in and they, they will come back with different courses of action, you know, most dangerous, blah, 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 and then a a recommended course of action on how to do that. My sense is that didn't happen. I think the discussion was we should maintain a presence there, uh, but the decision for whatever reason was everybody out and basically everybody out by September 1st.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I feel like that was a bad decision. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, you're obligated to report a decision that is illegal, unethical, or immoral. There's nothing that says that commander, that you, if your boss tells you to do something that's stupid, there's nothing that says that commanders can't be stupid, whether they're a commander in chief or. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was within his prerogative to make the decision that he made. And he made it. But I also would say you're accountable for that decision, mm-hmm. both with the American people and, you know, to the 13 families that lost someone because we were put into a bad situation there. Right. So I guess at the end of the day, I mean, this is, I mean, you know, and I'm not being deferential. I, do, I think it was a bad decision. I think it could have been executed much better. Um, I, and, I, and going back to should we or should we not pull out in total? Again, I think you could argue both ways, um, but I don't understand to this day what the rush was, why it had to, because the original pullout date under the previous administration was May. Right. So they'd already passed that. Now yeah. We're now talking, we're in August or July when yeah. the decision is made. So saying I was pinned in by that, it doesn't make any sense. You've already slipped the timeline Six months to the right anyway, and four right. months to the right for September, you know, would, would this have been better executed in the winter when we're outside of the fighting season um, in a more plan so we can mitigate risk? And, right. you know, the answer, my opinion as a military professional is yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's so, yeah, I don't think it went like it should have. And... I think I my personal opinion is I think we lost credibility not only with our adversaries, but with our allies mm-hmm. as a result of this. But again, this is Clay Hutmacher's opinion. I studiously yeah. avoid, you know, like uh, yeah, where and I, I come down on it.
0: And I, I wouldn't I, I, you know, by no means am I gonna try to make this political. It's more from the military perspective. Because so how does that happen? Because I'm more interested in a lot of different things in the context of So when something goes wrong, you want to know why, because you want to know, how do we avoid this in the future? And I think from, you know, it's more of, you know, an outsider's perspective, because obviously you and I weren't there. We've talked to a lot of people, but this was, um, you know, such a poorly executed withdrawal from... But from, I think you could
1: define it as, as that. I think, yeah, justifiably so. I don't think that's, I don't even think that's arguable. No. Some people would argue that that was a good withdrawal. I would not.
0: (laughs) Some people would, right? I would would politely disagree. I would, I would politely disagree. And professionally, I would, and that's more of what I'm referring to is, When you look at this and you look at the recommendation from, you know, Milley and Miller and whomever else might have uh, uh, testified and given recommendations and then looking at actually what took place, was there a disconnect from what you think the military recommendation for this was? And then what ultimately... the The Commander-in- Chief decided to do, not trying to be political. I'm just yeah, saying, it was no, there no, a no. big
1: disconnect between that? Well, I think that the mili- the best military advice, again, <laughs> when you're the President, you're making a strategic decision. right. A military perspective is one. Mm-hmm. There's other perspectives, and there's other there's other things to it, it, not so much in this one. I mean, Bay of Pigs is a perfect example. Yeah, Military <laughs> said, go in and, and nuke the Cubans. Right. You know, in retrospect, that probably would not have been a good, a good thing, idea. Right? Yeah. I mean, and Kennedy didn't take that advice. You know, um, <clears throat> which it's easy when you win in the end. You know how history views that, but that's the president's role. Mm. So I don't know that there was a disconnect. I think that it was, that just was just- he made a decision that Craig. was not in line with the military advice that was provided him by the chain of command. Mm. Um, But that's just prerogative to do that. And again, you know, ultimately, you know, I have the authority to do lots of stuff Mm -hmm. as a CEO of the Special Operations Warrior Foundation. It's Mm -hmm. within my authority. But I'm still accountable for every decision I make. Right. Right? So whether through it's the board, our donors, whatever. So I think he executed what he thought was the right decision. And I don't think it turned out well. Mm Now. The military does a fairly good job at going after lessons learned and thinking about what we could have done better and how we, and I say a fairly good job because we tend to relearn the same lessons over and over we again. We do.
0: Yeah.
1: But, you know, it's a whole nother discussion to have about our strategy. Well,
0: I, you I know, I, that that's a great question because from a military from a military perspective and from a, an occupying uh, force, yeah. can you build in the protection mechanism in order to safeguard y- your men, weapons, and equipment to include your assets? Because as an intelligence service- What was
1: left behind, Jimmy? Correct.
0: Mean? I'm referring to that, which is, can the military and the intelligence community, is it our responsibility to build in the appropriate mechanisms from the ground up from the, from the point of, we'll call it, occupation to the point of withdrawal? To make sure that if a politician, depending on political wins, decides that we're going to pull out, that we can at least safely recover the people that have directly helped us through this process? Do you think it's an ethical and tactical obligation?
1: Well, I think that you got to be careful about every situation's different, right? So Mm -hmm. every situation has its own set of facts and circumstances that drive a certain decision. So I'm You know, I mean, there's a way to do that legislatively. Like Mm -hmm. when you put in a law, you know, a president, you know, says we need to change a law. There's a process for that through the House and the Senate and it's approved and then signed by the president. That's what you're getting after or a treaty. Right. A treaty now is like, you know, there's a process like the previous administration withdrew from the, the Jikpoha Treaty, the treaty with Iran. Yep. But they had to do it in accordance with the terms of the treaty, which was six-month notification mm. and pull it out. I think that's the safeguard for that. Mm. I don't think you can deal in absolutes. It. The problem with that a lot of people had, and I've had a lot of friends ask me about, what about the helicopters we left, the planes, the weapons? It's, we, you know, that was sold to the Afghans. That is Afghan property. Right. So it wasn't even our property anymore. There's mm. an actual legal issue with that. Now, right. you could make a, in the future, you could say, well, we're going to do a, a conditional sale. Right. That if this these things occur, we're taking that stuff back. Yeah. You're never going to do that with small arms. What are you going to have? A bunch of people running around with their yep. shopping carts, picking up everybody's <laughs> rifle, but with big pieces of equipment. Right. Artillery, aircraft. Yep stuff like that. But I mean, essentially it's, you know, like the same thing in Iraq, the Iraq, you know, the defense forces in Iraq, that's, that's their property. So you can't, that's why you just can't go take it back. I mean, it's not our property anymore. And I don't, I think that's lost on a lot of people. Now I think that should be relooked and we should look at conditional sales. I don't know the legality of Mm -hmm. doing that, but that's not how we've ever done it in the past to my knowledge.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, not that I have the answer whatsoever. It's more of a question from Mm -hmm. your perspective because, you know, when we looked at the, the SIVs, the special immigrant visas and the process and things like that, You know, and I think about it in two different ways because I've debated myself and I've talked to a lot of people about this, which was, you know, when you have assets and people that have been helping you in a covert capacity for an extended period of time, (laughs) the open secret is that Afghans know who the Afghans are that are working with the CIA. Now, there's a small percentage of those people that are really, you know, obviously those assets that are very... Um, deeply hidden, deeply or, hidden, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But the broad majority of them, and what I'm referring to, is like Openly the NDS and things right. like that. Yes, it's it's, it's a it's open it's, it's an open secret, right? And when you have more of the conventional military that has a you know a process specifically for immigrant visas, I think from the special operations in the intelligence community, because a lot of this was like hand in glove. Um, is it our ethical obligation to protect our assets if something like this were to happen in the future? Do you think that we have um, a responsibility to build in courses of action to mitigate these circumstances moving
1: forward? 100% yes. Yeah. No, I absolutely think it's our, our, it's our ethical obligation. It's a moral obligation. I think if there would have been a deliberate plan for a withdrawal, that would have been accounted for. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Now, so yes, the answer is yes. I mean, we absolutely do. We're doing the right things. Now, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety, security is one thing. But now there's another obligation, which is you're taking Afghans that some, a lot of them don't speak the language Correct. and you're putting them in an entirely different culture, different laws, different customs different language. Mm -hmm. So now that it just can't be okay. Hey, you're in, you know, I was in a hotel in Oklahoma with a, with a bunch of Afghans that were staying in this hotel. It can't be okay. You're here. There has to be a process to assimilate them Mm -hmm. in our culture and teach them language. And I believe that's happening. I I don't know to what extent, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just getting them out. It's integrating them into a new culture, which is, I think takes generations, frankly, but to completely get them assimilated. But that's part of it, too. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely 100% agree that there is an ethical, moral obligation to take care of those that support us.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think, I think it's from, from an accounting and auditing perspective, I think that we have to look at war from not only the war as far as like the the direct gunfighter the mm-hmm. you know the occupation but it's the post occupation and then also the the second and third order effects of of these things right. to include what you're talking about which is what is it going to be for our country to uh, assimilate soldiers back into right. the society, to educate and retrain mm-hmm. and put them back into the civilian population so they're living, you know, happy and fulfilling lives.
1: Now, I think there is money in the budget for that. You know, they, I mean, it's, I think they are looking for money to do that, so mm-hmm. I don't want to sell them short. No. I mean, I do think that's happening. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. it can't just be, hey, drop you off at Ellis Island kind of thing, and right. hey, you guys are on your own. kind of. It can't be that. Mm-hmm. And I... And I think there's a a, a general awareness that there, you know, that we got, you know, this mission is not just getting them into friendly soil. It's who I am to be military uh, acronym, you know, Mm -hmm. receive, integrate, onward movement, all those kind of things, you know? Yeah, I think it's going to be hard. I think it's going to be hard. Horribly hard. But, but again... When we ask them to throw their lot in with us and put their lives and their families at risk, then, okay, it's hard, but it's doesn't make it it's less. We have less of an obligation, either ethically or morally to right. do it. It's just part of the obligation.
0: It's part of the obligation. I think we have to work those. Americans inherently like to think about things, at least from my perspective. They like to think of it from a budget perspective as well, which I think would help people understand what the actual cost of war really is when we look at the long-term cost of war that concludes today's training any questions (laughs) drum titties boy